Hey, it's good to see you. I hope tonight's been a blessing for you. I'm going to start out with some really good news, just in case I'm not very good tonight, okay? First good news is we have an ice cream party after. Mormon up the crowd. Second, we're going to end with a short video. Wow. And thirdly, you get to look at that if I'm off a little bit. So we have uh, made it to the 13th and final chapter in our studies in 2 Corinthians tonight. So we're going to finish up. And as we finish up, we will see uh, Paul still fighting, still patiently committed to these group of believers in Corinth. I mean, just think about what Paul's dealt with up to this point over the last, let's just say, three years. He's visited them two times, personal visits, going on three, right? He's written four letters that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, full of doctrine. And beyond that, at every turn, he has to deal with their carnality and their sin and their deaf ears, right? At every turn. And probably the most hurtful thing we saw in the last couple of chapters, they personally doubted him and questioned his authority as an, as an apostle, right? I mean, it's remarkable that the apostle Paul hasn't given up on this group yet. It's probably the untold story of the letters to the Corinthians is that Paul hung in there. He was patiently committed to this group. He labored night and day to try to get them to change their ways right? Challenge them to live a little bit of a higher plane outside of their society and in their flesh. He wanted them to live as if Jesus was indwelling them as real authentic Christians, that maybe their actions would match what happened in their heart, that they would model the gospel, you see. One thing's for sure, Paul was no drive-by pastor. (laughs) He stayed at it, even when he was getting haymakers thrown at him for sure. And I don't know if you know, but you start to see some movement in these Corinthians over the last few weeks. Some had changed, had risen to the challenge, had really started majoring in the spiritualities instead of the carnalities. Most of them have changed their ways, but there's some holdovers, right? There's some that didn't change. They did not restore themselves. They did not repent of their sin. Instead, they were living in open sin that matched the culture that they were living in still. After all this time and all this exhortation and all this letters, and it's to those holdovers that Paul gives a final warning to in these last 14 verses here to finish up tonight. It's to them that he's addressing this to, the ones that have not changed, that know better, they've been told. And so before we get into verse one of chapter 13, let's pray. So Father, we're so grateful for your word. I pray that it would have its perfect way in us, that your spirit would convict and move us where we need to be moved. And would your your spirit just uh, use the word to Prick us right where we need to be. Move us, change us. That's what only you can do, Father. Uh, We do this in your name. Amen. 
So it wasn't that long ago that I was a young dad, me and my wife, Stephanie, raising two young, rambunctious boys. And sometimes I would get calls. Like she was at home raising these young boys and I was at work and I would get these calls. Like, Dan, the boys, or usually she'd say, your boys are out of control. And I'm like, well, what are they doing, right? And, and I didn't really need to ask that question because you could hear it through the phone. Like it was like a Jerry Springer show. They were all yelling at each other. She's yelling at them. They're yelling at her. And I'm like, oh, Dan. It, just an absolute mayhem. So what did they do? And inevitably, on those calls, they were, always, they were doing stuff that they knew was wrong. Sometimes, to our frustration, stuff we just went over with them, the next day, they're doing. And I'd always say the same thing to my wife. Put them on the phone. <laughs> Put them on the phone. No, I can hit. Put them on the phone. <laughs> Get on the phone. I'd always tell them the same thing. Listen, you know better than this. And I'm coming home in a couple of hours, okay? Work's almost over. You guys need to make it right. Figure this out. I'm warning you, when I come home, you can either get the good dad or you can get the bad dad. It's up to you. Click, <laughs> right? Right? I always wanted my kids don't take this the wrong way, but a little scared of me. Not, not a lot. I tampered it with my love and I was a good dad, but I just want to just, yeah, I'm coming. Here's a warning. You know what's wrong, okay? You're not doing it. I'm going to give you a chance before I come to make this right with your mom and your brother so when I come home, we can play catch and enjoy each other or I can bring some judgment when I come home. That's chapter 13. Paul's writing this letter and he's like, listen, <laughs> I'm gonna give you one final warning. I've been there twice. I'm gonna come one more time and I'm coming for you holdouts. You ones that haven't been listening, that haven't got in line, okay? You're causing a lot of trouble. And if you don't square away and get things in order, examine yourselves, make it right before I come. I'm gonna openly judge you in front of the church. And I'm gonna deal with you severely and openly. I don't wanna do that. I'd rather come <laughs> and build you up, but I'm prepared to do that. That's what chapter 13 is all about. Let's check it out in verse one through four. Paul warns that he will deal openly and severely when he comes. Check it out, verse one. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others. And I warned them now while I'm absent, as I did when I was present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. <laughs> Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Listen, 
I'm going to give you one more warning here. I think Paul's hoping for third time's the charm, right? I've been there twice. The last time I was there, it was very contentious. And I told you guys to square up and get right and stop your sinning ways. And you didn't. And you know better. This isn't someone who's coming down harshly on somebody. This is a person that has a fair warning. Three years probably worth of warnings. Two visits. At least two letters. They know what's wrong. And Paul's saying, listen, third time better be a charm. When I come, you better get this squared away. I will deal openly with you. I will not spare you. These are legitimate concerns. As he mentions here, every charge must be established by two or three witnesses. James spoke about this last week, Matthew 18. What are you supposed to do when someone's sinning or you have something against somebody? You go to them alone, right? And if they reject it, then what do you do? You bring two or three witnesses and you say, hey, it's not just me now, it's us. And you're out of line. And we want you to kind of look inward and see what we're saying is true. Look at the word of God. And then if they reject you then, then what are you to do? You go to the church. Paul said, yeah, I'm not going to spare you. I'm going to openly rebuke you. These are legitimate concerns. He gave them fair warning. He said, when I was there, right now, when I'm writing this book, listen, you guys know what's right. And I like what he puts there. I think it's in verse three. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. I was referring back. If you've here the last couple of weeks, you know that these people, they doubted his power as an apostleship, as an apostle, right? Remember the super apostles, the false apostles that were coming in? They're like, they started following them. They rejected his apostleship for a while. It forced him to have to, remember last week, defend himself. Paul doesn't like doing that, but he does it. And I like what he says here. Since you seek proof that I'm speaking for God, that I'm an apostle, I love what he says. And some people don't like satire or wit or, uh, I don't know, being harsh and using examples. I love it because you just look at the Apostle Paul here when he preaches. He says, since you seek to know if Jesus is speaking in me, here's what. I'm going to not bring you weakness like when he gave himself over on the cross. (laughs) I'm going to deal with you in power like the power that raised him from the dead and keeps him alive. That power I'm bringing in my rebuke of you. (laughs) I love that. Just putting a play on words to these guys. You guys want to know if I'm powerful? Maybe he was too weak and mild and humble for them. They wanted the super apostles, the way they spoke and the way they acted. He's like, I'll show you power. When I come, I'm going to bring it. And some of you guys may be coming outside in the woodshed. (laughs) He might, he might use some power. Or, as we'll see in the next verses, maybe you can just look inwardly, self-examine yourself, and get right with the Lord and the other believers. You could do that. That's an option. Check it out in verse five. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith Test yourself, or do you not realize this about yourselves, 
that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to, to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Paul's pleading, pleading for self reflection, self-examination, so that he can come to them and build them up, edify them, enjoy them, not bring judgment, right? He's not, that's what he wants. He wants them to look inside. And here's what I've noticed about Christian circles and even churches. We're very good at examining things, other people, other people's take on doctrine, other people's actions. We're pretty good at it. I've been on both ends of it here. Okay, we're pretty good at it. No one's immune from it. It's human nature. We're really good at it. You know what we're not very good at? Self, self-examination. It's a very sobering thing to do. It's a very edifying thing to do. It's a very healthy thing to do to, in your quiet time, reflect on what about you? He he goes right to it. What about you? Test yourself. See if you're even in this faith. And I don't know if you caught it. He says, Don't you know that if you are in this faith, Jesus Christ himself is in you? Listen, authentic Christianity are people that are indwelled by a holy God. Jesus Christ himself is indwelling you. God's spirit has regenerated your spirit so you have the capacity to house divinity. You guys know how I teach. Thank you. That's good, yes? We're carrying him around in us. It's the only hope we have to live up to any standard. It's the only hope we have of meeting any kind of sense of glory or opinion. So Paul says to the believers at Colossae, right? Chapter 1, verse 27, the only hope of glory you'll ever have is Christ in you. And we know this. We know that it isn't just a power in our life or a strength that we can summons when we need it, but yet it should be the strength of our lives. We know this, right? Because he tells the believers over in Philippi, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? We know this. That's authentic Christianity. What Paul's saying is, is that you? Is that me? Because here's the reality of it. You, no one can judge that. 
People can say, oh, I don't see any fruit. You and God alone know the answer to that question. And more to the point right here, when you're living a life that is not glorifying God, it's a time to step back and go, am I in this faith? Because when I came to him, I saw all those things, the hope of glory. I saw the strength of my life. I saw all those things and I viewed myself in my sin differently at that moment. Unsaved people don't look at it that way. That stuff is rubbish to them, if you haven't noticed. You can play church all you want, but you get to the nitty gritty on that question and they're blank. Right? Ask yourself. It's sobering. These people weren't acting like it. And some of them weren't saved or had the possibility that weren't saved. I think he assumed they were, but he said, unless you fail the test, the test is, is Jesus in you? Are you a real Christian? Some of them, at least he assumed, were playing church. They were playing church. They liked what maybe the club mentality. I was a part of something. I liked it. But that didn't fundamentally change who they were. They had no interest in modeling a gospel that changed them from the inside out, right? And that's what we all should do. Because I'm sure in a crowd this big, not all of us are living a life. Some of us are holdovers, if you will, that are doing things that we ought not to do. We're enslaved to them. And you want to know some evidence? See, here's the deal. Some of them weren't saved, but some of them were saved. I think most of them were. I think they were just being fleshly. Here's the deal. Some of these people some of these people just needed a reminder. Some of you need a re- need a reminder that you're carrying around in you Jesus Christ himself, wherever you go and whatever you do. If that doesn't change you, something else might change you. If you're saved, you have God's spirit in you. In the Bible, in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says that he bears witness with your regenerated spirit that you're a child, you're a child of God. Did you know that? That, that, that you know you're saved. Yes, I'm not defined by my actions, but you start to self-reflect and you're like, you're like, oh, oh, he's bearing witness to my regenerated spirit. It's how you feel when you're down the wrong trail. That's, that's the evidence. These guys and a lot of people that play church, huh, They justified it, right? They denied it. They even celebrated it, right? That's not a Christian. Paul's saying, look inside yourself lest you failed the test. If you're saved, listen, you ought not to act that way. You didn't fail the test, right? When we mess up, The Spirit should make you feel bad about it. He should convict you of those things, right? We should hate ourselves when that happens, right? I'm 
I'm captivated by this. I don't want to be captivated by this. I keep doing what I don't want to do. Paul's the best example of this in chapter 7 of Romans. This is how a Christian should come out and self-reflect and get in line if you are a holdover. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law in my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Huh. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. That's what he's asking you to do, is to have that mindset. It's not something you muster up. It's something the spirit bears witness with your spirit. And you go, yeah, I don't need a woodshed. I got God's spirit in me. He's breaking me down. I don't want that anymore. Paul, show me Jesus so I can live a life that he actually lives through me and have power over these things. Amen? I think that's the idea. And Paul, listen, he doesn't want to come and bring the wood. I like that. He said, I'm praying for your restoration. Verse 9. That's what we're praying for. It's this reason I'm asking you to come to that conclusion, to be self-respect, to think about this, to prove to yourself you're a Christian so that when I come, I can build you up, not tear you down. And isn't that the, he has the power and the authority, it says, to do either. But he wants to do what? He wants to edify. He wants to encourage and build them up, right? Isn't that the role of the church and pastors? Sometimes we get so caught up on, I'm coming. Paul was very balanced here. He's like, look, I'm about done with you guys. I want to warn you. I want you to fix your own problem. If I need to, I'll do it, but I I really don't want to. I want to love on you. I want to enjoy you. I want to see how I can build you up and help you. I want to share in your victories, right? Isn't that what a real pastor, a real church should be? Is a builder of people? More of us leaders should be telling people, staff and members, how it could be, not how it is. We should be overestimating instead of underestimating, right? That's what he's saying. I want to build you up. I see something in you. You're so encouraging when I speak. It smiles, right? When I see you working out there serving food, when I see families up here praising the Lord together, I see something in you, Scudstad family. I see that. It's like the Partridge family up here. It's awesome. Is that awesome? The faithfulness of people feeding us here, the faithfulness of the child's ministry. You guys can take a break from your kids and those heathens can just rip it up down there. (laughs) Right? Amen? I don't want to ever forget that. And it's awesome how he closes out these last three verses. They're beautiful. They're beautiful because he's hard. He's like, you're almost out of chances. 
I want to be a good dad. I don't, I, I, I don't want to use my power this way, but I will if I have to. But please get yourself squared away before I get there. And then the way he closes these verse is just nothing but goodness. And I love how he balances the woodshed with, I love you guys. Be good to each other. That's always the way. Just be mature. Take care of yourselves. Check out these verses, verse 11 through 14 to finish it up here. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. In verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That last verse, 14, I don't know. Little fun fact. When people say you can't find the Trinity in the Bible, there it is. Grace of Jesus, love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit. There you go. So the next time you're People come to your house and knock on the door and say, well, you just, okay, I know the truth. You don't have to argue, but there it is. But verse 11, that's nothing but a shotgun of goodness. Joy, restoration, comfort, like-mindedness, peace. Does it sound good to anybody else? Man, we can get beat down in this world right now. This is no, this is... I don't know, if you pay attention, it can be pretty depressing. It can be. There's something I, I've been stuck on this verse lately, and, it, and this shotgun of goodness reminds me of, of what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about those things. Remember those things. There's plenty of it out there. Well, there's a lot of garbage. There's excellence out there. There's excellence. There's moms doing amazing work. There's volunteers. Just look around. There's excellence. Put your mind on those things. It's kind of like what this reminds me of. Just a shotgun of goodness. It's like, man, we got to start thinking about these things. Joy. I mean, who needs more joy in their life? No, thanks. I got plenty. I get plenty. Who's got time for joy? <laughs> Rejoice. Joy, that fruit of the Spirit that mental willingness, right? To be able to not only accept, but enjoy all circumstances without fear or frustration. That's a gem when you rejoice in the Lord. We know we're supposed to do it, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, right? We know it can be a source of strength in our lives, right? The joy of the Lord is a strength. Amen. I need more joy. I like it. He says, hey, rejoice. Aim for restoration. It's, that word is, it's an awesome word. It's, it's restoration, but it's really, it's more, it's more like completeness. 
like perfection. Or it's, it's like when there's two broken pieces and you put them together, that's restoration. But it could be rendered completeness. Like aim for being complete with the people that you're broken with. Now we aim at a lot of things. That is, you want to get along with people? Aim small and miss small. Find those people that you're at odds with. Just if it's in your power, I know it always isn't. But just be an open book and look for those targets and aim your restoration out there. How awesome is that? Aim for restoration or completeness. Comfort one another. That's an awesome word. Parakalia means mm, to be called to one side, alongside. You can't comfort someone at arm's length. (laughs) That's what it means, literally. Like, come close to people and speak comfort to them. Kalia, you, you speak comfort things alongside someone. When's the last time someone came alongside you, walked with you, and comforted you with their words? How, how nice is that? When's the last time you did that for somebody? Looking for that, comfort one another. Listen, I know this is hard. I know it seems impossible. Two things, you're not going to go through it alone because I'm going to be with you. I'm by your side. And if you met Jesus, he's a big God, right? That's comforting one another. Listen, I don't know if I can fix this. I'll do my best to point you to Jesus and you don't have to be alone in it. I'll walk with you. I'll pray with you. I'll show up. I'll buy you coffee. I'll comfort you. Paul's saying, listen, man, I know we talked about the woodshed a little bit and warnings, and but listen, man, rejoice. Aim for restoration, completeness, comfort one another. Be like-minded. Start thinking about the same things. And listen, we can have diversity of thought all we want. We can disagree on a ton of things, but there's a lot of things we have in common that we should be like-minded in. And it's Jesus and his cross, his true gospel. There's plenty to agree on, right? And it says, really, in the original, if you do these things, (laughs) if you do these things, The God of love and peace will be with you. Always a choice. If. I like like my friend Chad's voicemail. Ringing. Hi, this is Chad. I hope you're choosing to have a good day. (laughs) I love that voicemail. (laughs) This is awesome. Isn't it kind of always a choice? Isn't it? You choose to, to have joy and rejoice if you at least try to aim for restoration, you, you comfort people and you get comforted. You start talking about things you have in common in the Lord, spiritual things. Huh. The God of love and peace will be with you. Amen? He will be. He goes on finally here and says, greet each other with a holy kiss. <laughs> Let me translate that for you in, in, in our culture. It's actually a beautiful thing. That's what Eastern cultures did. They kissed each other, right? A holy kiss. I I think it's this way. I think in our culture, it's the hug. I don't get many hugs in my life except here. I mean, my wife, right? I mean, it's family or church. No one hugs each other in public. It's too, we're just too American. We just are. And, And I know not all of us are built. We're not all huggers. Right, I ask that all the time when I see people in my office. Are you a hugger? Yeah, okay, come here. 
I gotta, you gotta ask. You don't want to get in trouble, right? But I ask, and every, I don't think I've had anybody say, no, don't touch me. Everybody wants a hug, right? Hugs are pure awesomeness, are they not? Two grown men come to church, we hug. What? This because we're family. We're in the family of God. And we have this bond. We've been in the trenches together. We've been brought out of ourselves and into a higher. We've been saved from ourselves to something awesome. And when you see each other and you know that that's what we see the same, we're like, can I have a hug? I, I need a hug, right? It's hugs. They're important. And I think it hugs in them, it was a holy kiss. For us, it's hugs. I, I think this, I think a hug is the physical manifestation of verse 11. You don't hug somebody that you're not restored with. It's hard to hug when you're not at least trying to be. So it's all those goodnesses. It's all that noble, all the excellence. It's all those things encapsulated. And something happens to us when we authentically hug somebody. Did you know that? The science behind it is amazing. We need that touch. Not in a creepy way, please. <laughs> just, just in a genuine hug. So I want to encourage you guys to be huggers. Okay? I know some of you say, I'm not built that way. I will just say this. You probably just need to get over yourselves. Because <laughs> hugs are for everyone. And that brings us to our video. I'm going to play a little three-minute video. It always touched me. It's a secular video. It's about hugs. Hugs are free. Okay, well, watch the video. When it's over, I'll pray. We'll have an ice cream party, okay? All right. I love the body language. Did you see? They're all closed down. Something happens to us physiologically when we do that. Just one quick warning, though. Pastor Matt still has a hurt shoulder. Do not hug him very hard, okay? <laughs> Just give him a holy kiss. Okay? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> be gentle with him, okay? He's still out of his sling, so be careful there. And anyways, it was, it was awesome with being with you guys tonight. Let's pray and go have some ice cream. Father, thank you so much for your word. And um, thank you so much for um, this body. I pray that you would bless them, that you would keep them. Father, I pray that your word here would go uh, and change us. So be with us in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Ice cream. Let's do it.